Hey, Aaron, what have you been eating lately? Um, you know, just the regular stuff, bloody steak, uh, raw pork, and just, you know, chicken breaths just right out of the cellophane. I personally like to take, you know, ground beef. You take it, you get it at the grocery store, and I just take a handful of that chuck meat and shove it right down my gullet. So welcome, everyone, to the Watch If You Dare podcast, a horror cinema podcast with me, the coward, Derek, and my co-host, the monster boy, Aaron. How you doing, Aaron? Oh, baby, I like it raw. Yeah, baby, I like it raw. <laughs> yes, so that that's definitely the movie we're going to be doing this week. But before we get into it, this is a uh, kind of the first recording in the last two because you put out we had the mini sewed out and then we had James on yep. the last episode. So this is the first one we've done in a couple weeks where it's just you and me. So what have you been? getting into lately horror wise before i get into that first of all i just want you to know that like the raw ground beef thing that you talked about that is like some actual disgusting weird shit that i can't wrap my head around that they actually do like up in the midwest oh beef, just dude beef tartar okay there no, no no there's a difference between beef tartar like some grade a fantastic steak that's just kind of you know chopped up that's good like a little bit of olive oil some like garlic cool no i'm talking like pink gray ass ground beef that they just like pick up in clumps and like squirt yellow mustard on eat on crackers like just the most (laughs) fucking german ass midwestern bullshit i don't know if i'd rather eat that or varmint stew where you just take roadkill and put it in us at least that at least that's cooked look i'll eat weird shit i i want my steak walked out to me on a leash so i can like pet it give it a name (laughs) and look it in the eyes before before I eat it like that's fine you know like a little bit of blood's good I like my steaks super rare I love all the garbage parts of animals too I, I will eat pretty much everything you know Heather and I are definitely trying to like change up our diet a little bit but I we're both food people like I will be adventurous and eat whatever that said I'm not just gonna eat some like raw ass ground beef from the local like quickie mart just right out of the package no I have no idea where that's been I have no idea how like fresh that is you know like nah i'm good yeah you're one of those people that demands that you use the turkey gizzards and all that stuff for the absolutely uh, gravy absolutely yes the lingua is delicious like i I brought (laughs) like some tongue tacos is the shit um so yeah perfect intro for this movie so my what have i seen recently will be pretty quick as far as everything non-movie related um i mentioned one of the last episodes i started reading swamp thing i've gotten a little bit further it is still kind of in a weird globe trotting state where he's just bouncing from like one gothic place in the world to another so it hasn't quite hit its stride yet but i'm sticking with it because the artwork's fun the prose is very ridiculous and over the top and you know it's charming for the time so among those like globe trotting adventures has he gone to gotham city yet and like had the story with batman because i've heard that that one is a great story in the more run no i'm i'm not even into like volume two yet oh okay Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm still in volume one. Yeah, that's that's like the only non-movie horror-related thing. Beyond that, I watched Brian De Palma's Sisters. I bought the Criterion edition of that a while back, and uh, I saw that movie years ago. And I bought the Criterion edition like last last sale, and uh, just haven't gotten around to rewatching it yet. 
I did rewatch it. It's in some ways like most De Palma stuff. It's a little bit of a Hitchcock hodgepodge. This movie kind of pulls a psycho a little bit where one of the main characters is kind of killed off pretty quickly and right away. But it's Margot Kidder. She plays conjoined twins in the movie. It's kind of this slightly psycho, slightly rear window kind of take where a neighbor believes she sees one of the sisters kill somebody and then it's kind of the other sister covering it up and things kind of go weird from there. But um, it's interesting. It's kind of a peek at some of the things that he does later. And coincidentally enough, I, I watched this movie and then we watched Raw. And while I was doing a little bit of research, I actually came across an article on Birth Movies Death by Kaylin Corgan. And it specifically put those two movies together and she discusses both of them in the context of like sisters and their relationships back and forth um so it was just kind of complete kismet that i came across that article that was literally about something that i had watched completely unrelated to the movie that we picked um so i'll kind of dig into that a little bit deeper in a minute other than that heather and i watched the two-part hbo documentary i love you now die which is about the michelle carter case from a few years ago uh She's the teenage girl who essentially text messaged and called and kind of reinforced her boyfriend's decision to commit suicide. It was very interesting. The whole situation's fucked in all directions for everybody. It brought up some interesting discussions between Heather and I because she has a law background. And the documentary was very interesting because at the end of the day, the whole situation boiled down to, and and this is kind of what the defense's strategy was, which was, was what she did reprehensible? Yes. Was it immoral? Probably so. Was it illegal? No. Because there are no laws in the state of Massachusetts that say you can be held accountable for, like, reinforcing someone's decision to take their own life. Right. So it just literally boils down to, like, well, we can't actually hold her accountable for this because there's nothing that says it's illegal, you know? But it was very interesting. They go kind of back and forth and show you a lot of the text conversations that they had over the years. The defense also tries to, like, paint her as also being completely mentally unstable and on all these uh, psych meds and everything else and you know her decision making was impacted by all that which you know that a lot of that stuff is going to be true to varying degrees but it was still just a very interesting instance that's very unprecedented in today's digital age where we do live through our phones and we live through the internet and the fact that these two people who considered themselves to be boyfriend girlfriend had only actually met like five times in person over the course of like over a year um, was very kind of interesting and painted a disturbing picture of kind of how detached they both were from reality in different ways. So it's very interesting. It's very fucked up. I definitely have some fairly strong opinions on suicide that were kind of being tested by watching that documentary. It's it's definitely interesting, and I think it's worth watching just for, like, the thought exercises that you have to kind of go through to look at both sides of it. Because with each part, the first half is specifically the boyfriend's kind of... It's his part of the story. It's the prosecution's side of things. It's his family's side of things. Um, it's kind of showing you an impression 
introduction of Michelle Carter, like from their angle. And then the second half is her side of the story and the defense's side of the story and everything else. So it kind of puts the two things um, in juxtaposition with each other. And it's interesting for sure. So that's, that's all I've gotten up to lately. Um, how about you? Uh, mine's going to be extremely light. I really have not been consuming anything that's really even horror adjacent lately for whatever reason. Yeah. The one thing though I will have to say is like I've been reading on and off throughout the week trying to get through my comics and all that and then reading and starting a new book. But whenever I read I have been throwing on for whatever reason I just started throwing on John Carpenter's Lost Themes and Lost Themes 2 which yeah. I know we have brought up. We've brought it up before in, on this podcast but I'd like to talk a little more about it it is synthy it is like a progressive electronic album synth wave like it's kind of part nine inch nails part it's it's good shit it's it's just it's, it's totally good his, yeah it's, it's totally just, his it's brand it's, it's totally that like john carpenter synth vibe kind of feel yeah but yeah they're, they're very fun I, I definitely dig putting them on the background while i'm getting work done it's kind of interesting too because like when i am reading through like a horror comic like anything colin bunn writes or or whatever and that is on sometimes it just matches up up so perfectly with the thing that I'm reading yeah. that I'm like man if they did an adaptation of this and John Carpenter was at the helm this would be the perfect theme for this scene in the, in the whatever comic I'm reading at that moment the big track I think what is Vortex from the first album I think it's the first track on the first album I know that one has gotten the most attention but honestly I think my favorite out of both of them and I'm gonna I'm just pulling up right now I might be Bella Lugosi or Dark Blues on the second album On the first album, I really dig Abyss. Purgatory is good from what I remember of it. Like, all, all the tracks do kind of bleed together for me just because I'll, I'll throw on the album and then just set it to the side while I'm reading or doing whatever. If you are looking for some solid, synthy, John Carpenter-ass soundtrack that isn't a soundtrack, this is the way to go. And with Halloween kind of a little bit around the corner, I would love to, like, throw this album on as, like, I'm giving candy away to trick-or-treaters or something. We actually did last year. We just kind of threw the front doors open and threw some music on and it was both of those albums were on that mix that I put together just because it was stuff that could be on in the background it was vaguely Halloween themed but not like super explicit but yeah they're, they're great and honestly like you said they, they all kind of bleed together his movie themes are like that to a degree if you listen to the like themes remastered mix that they just put out recently Sacred Bones has been putting out all these albums so the band that he has right now is with his son and godson and then the 
backing band, like the touring band that they actually go with right now is like Tenacious D's band. <laughs> so, I mean, I would love to see them if they came anywhere near us. Like, I, oh, I would 100% yeah. <laughs> go because they show like clips from the movies behind them as they go. They do a lot of the actual movie themes mixed in as well. But the themes remastered album is really good. Uh, Sacred Bones did it. It's just all the main themes from his movies all put together and like re-recorded fresh with this new band. And there's just something about like hearing the themes that you're familiar with but with a lot more like life and emphasis behind them um, but they do kind of blend together if you're just listening to them all together and there's definitely standouts like you have the Halloween you have that and then you've got you know stuff like fucking Assault on Precinct 13 that like there's some good stuff that just like evokes those movies I'm just like yeah think about them but they're really really solid man I would love for him to come by here anywhere near us I would I would stop and go in a heartbeat. Another kind of album, or it might be four albums in one, technically, that kind of goes hand in hand with the John Carpenter Lost Themes albums is Nine Inch Nails Ghosts 1 through 4. Yeah. Because it's nothing like the rest of Nine Inch Nails, like other discography. I mean, there are bits and pieces. You can obviously tell it's Trent Reznor yeah. making these, but... Uh, what Derek's talking about specifically is that it's like completely an instrumental album. Yeah, it's it's and it's heavy focus on ambience. Yeah. Um, like, it's dark ambient is kind of the genre it sort of falls under which I mean there is some industrial tracks throughout it or, or themes of industrial rock but for the most part it's very uh, it's a pretty big departure from his regular stuff That's another, like, put it on the background as you're working sort of thing. Everything bleeds together. It flows really well. It goes from droning to uh, industrial, fast-paced, to straight-up electronica, to then back to ambient. And ambient is kind of like the overarching glue that holds all of it together. And what is it? Did he release them individually, or did he release Ghost 1 through 4 at the same time? Um, If I remember correctly, he released 1 through 4 as, like, individual EPs, electronically, but then when the whole thing was physically released, it was just Ghosts 1 through 4 release. Like, the vinyl that I have is just a giant four-disc thing. So, I think when it was physically released, it was just the entire collection. Yeah, and, uh, uh, yeah, again, uh, talk about another great thing to have on during Halloween. Yeah. um, Or just anytime you want to feel a little spooky. Unpopular opinion that I have, you know, he's gotten into scoring movies in the last few years with Atticus Ross, and for the most part, those soundtracks that they've done are all really good you know they're very different from each other but the first one that was like the big like oh shit Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails did a movie soundtrack and it's fucking amazing that he won an Oscar for was the soundtrack for Social Network and as much as I love that movie and that soundtrack 
the beef I have with it is that a lot of that soundtrack is just slightly reworked, remixed versions of the stuff from Ghosts. Yeah, that's what I thought because Ghosts came out right before that really, yeah. like a year or two before that that dropped. Uh, when did Social Network drop? It was like 2010, 2010 2011 yeah. or something. So my unpopular opinion is I like the Social Network soundtrack. I'd much rather just listen to Ghosts, but... I think his next soundtrack, which was for Fincher's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, is a way fucking better score. is like an immaculate amazing soundtrack and that is one that I put on constantly in the background it's so fucking good and that's honestly the one that he should have won all the awards for but I think there was just something so audacious about the social network soundtrack and that movie was like really really popping that year and he did some just interesting stuff like in the hall of the mountain king but like the nine inch nails version so I think it was just an issue of like that one got the attention but I much 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 prefer the girl with the dragon tattoo soundtrack like by miles well you had given me both ghosts one through four and the network social network like we kind of exchanged music and you gave me that stuff back in college or the end of college sort of at the same time and I listened to all of it but just to give you an idea is I haven't listened to the social network soundtrack since like 2013 I'm still listening to ghost one through four to this day like on and off so I completely agree with you. I just, it's not a bad soundtrack by any means. It's just overshadowed in my opinion by Ghosts 1 through 4. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather just listen to Ghosts in context rather than listening to like key chunks of it pulled out of context and just smushed together for this movie, yeah, you know? right. 
Yeah, well, I think that's all I got is really just music related. Hopefully next time we uh, we record, I will have a bit more to talk about. Um, the book I did start is kind of horror related, so I want to uh, dive deeper into it before I kind of like give any recommendation okay. or anything like that. So I'll probably bring that up next time. One quick thing I do have that I want to run through real fast, and this is strictly for the nerds out there. I am definitely about collecting physical media I have for years. My little nerd ass in seventh grade saved up money to buy a DVD player. So I always get excited whenever there are like giant waves of announcements, you know, from any kind of boutique labels. Uh, Most of them do just monthly announcements of what's coming out in a few months. Um, But every once in a while, something special happens. And uh, (laughs) Comic-Con just finished. I was just about to ask you, like, before we dive into anything else, like, what were some of the horror-related announcements at Comic-Con? I mean, there wasn't really anything horror-related per se. Like, uh, isn't Dr. Doctor Strange, they're going to try and make it sort of like a superhero horror movie. That's what they're saying. It's Scott Derrickson, the guy who did Hellraiser 5 and Delivers from Evil and Sinister primarily. Sinister is fucking great. He directed the first one and everybody was talking then about it being like the first Marvel horror movie and there's nothing horrific about it. They're saying this one's going to be horror. I think, I'm hoping Marvel is giving him more leeway because I would really like to see what he can do with a superhero horror related movie I I am thinking that we're probably just gonna see some maybe reworked House of M type stuff because it is gonna involve Scarlet Witch and so I'm wondering if this is gonna be kind of a backdoor way to bring the mutants eventually into the MCU but that's completely here or there. Right. I can't think of anything explicitly horror-related that came out at Comic-Con necessarily, but what I wanted to mention was one of my favorites, Scream Factory. Holler, send me some screeners. <laughs> Sponsor Give us. some sponsorship, Scream Factory. <laughs> they announced like a giant chunk of stuff that's going to be coming out the end of this year and beginning of next year. Again, speaking of John Carpenter, they have put out really, really solid releases of most of his stuff. There are still some titles that kind of, for rights reasons, they don't get their hands on, like Christine's a good example of that. But they announced that they are doing Big Trouble in Little China, which I am fucking stoked about. They are also doing Eric Red's Body Parts, which is fucking fun. This is like a storyline that you've seen in a bunch of other shit before, uh, but this movie, I think, is kind of one of the best examples of it. Jeff Fahey from Lawnmower Man, and he was in Lost, and some Rodriguez movies like Planet Terror and he was just in Battle Angel Alita in a small cameo. Um, He's like in a car accident. He loses his arm and they literally just replace his arm with the arm of a serial killer. And so, of course, he starts like having these like hallucinations and shit and he starts tracking down the other people who received the other body parts. And so, Brad Dwarf is an artist and he receives the other arm and now his like painter arm is drawing all this like evil stuff so that movie is 
kind of wild and fun, and they're going to be doing like a special edition of that one. They're also doing John Badham's Dracula from 79. It's the one with Frank Langella. Right. Curious to see that one. I remember watching that on TV growing up, but um, I want to see like the whole thing. They're doing the Fly Collection as well, which cool, but the 86 Fly, the Cronenberg Fly, the good fly, is going to be like the same master that they already have out on Blu-ray, so I think I'm going to skip that one, honestly. Even though it comes with the Fly 2, um, that's going to be the first time that one's on Blu-ray, and then it comes with the three original Fly movies. The fact that like it's still just the same master for the Cronenberg one, and there's no real new special features, I'm probably going to skip. Big news is that they got My Bloody Valentine, which, of course, I hate to admit this on air, but I did just buy a bootleg of it, because that one's been unavailable for a long time. So they're supposedly going to have like a two-disc set with both the like original theatrical and the uncut version that has all the gore inserts. That movie is a gem, and they're planning on having that one out before Valentine's Day next year. They're also putting out Road Games with Jamie Lee Curtis and Stacey Keach. They're doing Silver Bullet, which I'm excited about. That's actually a really fucking good werewolf movie. I don't care what anybody says. The werewolf in it looks like a hairy potato, but like, (laughs) it's so charming because you have Corey Haim kind of at the height of his popularity, and then you have Gary Busey as like the drunk uncle, but like, there's just something so endearing about this brother and sister and their like, shitty uncle dealing with like, a werewolf in their small Stephen King main town. So, those are all ones I'm really looking forward to. They're also doing like, Pet Cemetery 2, which, eh, it's alright. They're also doing Prophecy by uh, John Frankenheimer, which is like a fucking bananas movie. Um, just Google Pizza Bear if you're curious to see what the monster of that one looks like. So yeah, there's a bunch of good stuff that they're about to come out with. And I heard an interview with the main like marketing guy, and he specifically said like they have another huge one that they weren't quite able to announce at Comic-Con because of deals still being finalized. But they're doing good stuff. What can I say? I'm very appreciative of a lot of the stuff that they've put out, and I've definitely dumped a lot of money at them, so I'm happy that somebody is doing the devil's work in getting those movies not only, like, remastered, but just out in general, so. And you will continue to dump a lot of money towards them. (laughs) Look, until they only put out, like, straight-to-video asylum trash, or they just, like, stop giving a shit, which that's the main thing. Like, people complain about them being expensive, but, like, they give a shit about what they're doing. They like go out of their way to do a lot of special features and a lot of new interviews and a lot of times if the studios allow them to remaster the movies and pull new scans and everything, they do it. So like they go out of their way to do good stuff. I will fucking buy their work at the end of the day. Yeah, you're paying for quality. Oh yeah, they are not the most expensive and at the end of the day like I'd rather own a copy that I can watch whenever I want instead of just relying on streaming which can kind of come and go as we often fucking find out on this podcast cough cough this week's episode which is now no longer on Netflix after it's been on Netflix for the last two fucking years that so that uh, listeners that has happened to us at least six or seven times now where there'll be a movie where it's like for three or four years straight it's been on Netflix Hulu or Shudder and then like the week or a week before we decide to like watch that one and do an episode on it it's gone and it's not only gone from like where it had been it's gone everywhere except pay so much money to iTunes to rent or whatever And again, like, I mean, I own most of these movies 
physically, but at the end of the day, we're trying to pick stuff that people can, like, actually get access to <laughs> as much as possible. So we're trying to pick things that, like, are somewhat available one way or the other. But, yeah. you know, sometimes shit happens. And that's a good lead-in because someone that I'm friends with brought this up to me the other day where he's like, yeah, I love y'all's podcast, but um, y'all really have chosen kind of some off-the-wall horror movies, like, not what I was expecting. And we, we've talked about this a couple times, definitely on the first episode we had mentioned it, but we are really are trying to spread out the quote-unquote big ones like the original Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, yeah. all that kind of stuff. We're trying to space those out and cover... We gotta get good at this. Yeah, we, <laughs> we gotta, gotta get good at we this. We gotta like, hey. get better at like doing this thing before like we do an episode on The Shining or The Thing. Yeah. Yeah, A, better at it. B, we also want to just cover like multiple subgenres yeah. and multiple eras of horror, which is kind of like why we try to jump around from like, okay, this week we did the 70s. Let's do a movie from the 90s or the 2000s this week and et cetera, et cetera, and go back and forth. Yeah, we did a supernatural movie. Now let's do something that's a little more grounded and realistic. We did like three or four really dark ones in a row. Let's do something kind of fun. Yeah, so once again, just yeah, bear with us and I'm by, by all means, we encourage it. If you have any movies you would like us to talk about, and you know, even if it is on our list, just tell us anyway and then we can either say, yeah, that's already on our list that we're planning on doing yeah. it or we'll be like, no, that sounds like a good idea. Let's add it to the list yeah give us suggestions but chances are it's probably already on the list just saying yeah so just bear with us but like uh probably in the next few episodes we're probably going to do another fairly famous horror movie pretty soon we're probably due up for one since the last one what's what's the most famous movie you think we've done we just so did far? phantasm Texas? i mean that's that's a big one that's eh, but i mean like to non-horror watchers they don't really know what phantasm is i mean i, I, th- I think it depends on so look we are both millennials we are like right in the middle of like the crusty 40 50 year old gen xers who just want to gripe about us and then we're kind of that same distance between us and like my youngest siblings you know who i'm like fuck y'all just watch everything on youtube you know like some of it just depends on age some of it depends on exposure at the end of the day like a movie like it follows is really popular with people like my youngest siblings age that movie was kind of a big hit with that age group and demographic because it came out when they're watching stuff it's teenager they relate to it but like the stuff that I have kind of a like and nostalgia for is different than what people older than us listen to so I mean it, we're trying to just spread it out to do a wide berth and hit things that are not only interesting but things that we can like actually have conversations around and to recommend because some yeah. of the stuff is like movies that even I had not heard about until Aaron you suggested we do it like this movie I had no fucking clue what this movie was about or that it even existed until you decided to do it. And lo and behold, I watch it and then I look up some stuff about it later. And it's like, oh yeah, this movie was pretty big around the horror crowd, at least back in 2016. But I'm glad that like I finally watched it because I was just like, yeah, holy shit. I would have never realized how good I would have missed out completely on this horror movie uh, from 2016 that I had no idea about. So yeah, I mean, we're we're definitely trying to kind of go in all directions. And the other thing too, I mean, I want to have a widespread of stuff to talk about in general. Like, I want to do international. I want to do things that are vastly different. I don't want to just be one of those podcasts where we're just two white dudes talking about slasher movies from the 80s. You know, one here and there is fine, but I just don't want our whole podcast to be like the same thing over and over and over, you know? So we're trying to change it up on purpose just to have things to talk about at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, the original premise is you're trying to scare the shit out of me, but also like thicken my skin to take these horror movies that I skip over, not 
seeing in theaters because I don't want to get scared out of my mind. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so just kind of wanted to say that since you had, it seemed like a perfect segue from what you were saying. But before we, we dive into the movie, Aaron, I actually wanted to ask you, given that this movie deals uh, with food and the act of eating, do you have any special stories or disgusting or even hor- straight up horror stories related to like meals you've had or things you've eaten or about food in general? So, like I mentioned earlier, I straight up will eat almost anything. Almost anything. I am particular about food cleanliness and food safety because I grew up working in restaurants a little bit. And I've always just cooked in general. And I've been to many, many, many restaurants and seen, like, good and bad sides of that. So, I'm kind of particular about that. But, like, man, I'll eat some guts. Like, I'll eat some bugs. Like, I'll I'll eat whatever. But, like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm... still picky about that around our house because sometimes Heather will be like yeah raw chicken slap down on countertop and then just kind of rub wipe with wet fingers like it's clean nope <laughs> not at all so I'm just like real weird about food safety sometimes but I guess kind of on that note I think the horror story that I have is I was working at a restaurant in high school and I was working prep specifically. So, I mean, in a restaurant, for those who aren't aware of how any of this works, you typically have your line cooks who are all, like, the main people prepping your food and making everything in the moment. And then kind of back of the house, back of the house, you have people who just kind of come in early and, like, prep, right? So, they peel stuff and chop stuff and shred stuff and make sauces and just all that kind of bullshit. Just stuff that has to be, like, ready to go beforehand. So, this restaurant specifically just kind of pulled the, like, tried and true let's just marinate our chicken breasts in italian dressing you know butterfly them open throw them in a giant tupperware just with a big glug glug bottle of italian dressing and when you need when you just pull it out tongs throw it on the grill done right tastes delicious a bucket of that stuff sat in the like main like entryway fridge freezer for months and nobody realized it had been in there for months Typically, you put, like, masking tape or something on your Tupperware and you write a date on it so you know, like, when stuff was prepped and you change it out as you go. This one, like, the masking tape had probably fallen off at some point, so nobody knew how old it actually was. And we just all thought the, like, nighttime person prepped it and it was there, or the daytime person prepped it and it was there and not sure. Well, finally, somebody pulled it out when they were actually cleaning the fridge part rancid stinky raw meat is like one smell rancid stinky meat that has been like marinating in italian dressing is just like bouquet de garbage it is the worst goddamn fucking thing and the like color on that chicken and the look of it was terrifying like it was the most awful looking thing i think i've ever seen or smelled or encountered in my life And this was at a restaurant where I regularly saw people, like, spit into food or, like, take a chicken breast and, like, swab it in the toilet behind the scenes just because a customer was being shitty. Like, this was not a good restaurant. People did bad things, right? that, That chicken was the absolute worst thing I think I've ever seen. And there is a scene in this movie that involves raw chicken that made my stomach turn basically not at all but just like the thought of this rotten chicken right now is kind of making me want to throw up yeah yeah i mean that's that's a good one um one that I, that immediately came to my mind when i was thinking about this after watching the movie uh, 
one time I went up to Washington, D.C., and I was vacationing up there, and two of my friends live up there. You know one of them. We went to college with him, Devin, and then uh, my other friend, Sean Mars. They both lived in the D.C. area at, at this moment in time. This is a, you know, four or five years ago, I think. No, probably even further then. I think it was like 2013. Whatever. Doesn't matter. We went up there, and it was during a weekday, and I'd been walking around the city just kind of exploring, and Devin was nearby, and he met me downtown. Sean was also going to meet up with us, but he was running late uh, like at work. So we decided we were going to get something to eat before he met up with us. Devin didn't really know the area too, too well at that moment because I don't think he had been there very long. We were kind of walking around downtown DC and we found, I'm not going to name the name of this place because I don't want to like bash anyone. We found a diner style restaurant in downtown Washington, DC. And we were like, oh shit, that sounds delicious. We're kind of craving hamburgers, some greasy food, some milkshakes. Let's do it. Walk in the door. We're waiting in line. I notice something moving. In the corner of my eye, I see like near the condiments, I see a roach. Not not one of the smaller like infestation roads, roaches, but more of like the big giant water bug roaches. Yeah. The same kind we kind of see down here in the south. And it's just kind of crawling like it crawls like up to the ledge of the counter. And I point out to Devin and he's just like, huh. You still want to you hear? I was like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's summer. It's a roach, whatever. Like, and then I think someone noticed it and killed it and whatever. No big deal. So we get our food and already like this place has kind of given us both sketch vibes the longer we stay in it. And not that it's like a dangerous thing or anything, but more sketch vibes of like this place isn't fucking clean at all. Yeah. No one had been wiping the tails down as people came and went. And it, it was kind of one of those styles of diner where you go up and order your food and then they call your name out and you go pick it up. Kind of like a fast food restaurant yeah. but i guess the next step up so we we put in our orders and i mean we both like put in like 14 bucks worth of food order like both of us got like double cheeseburgers fries and large uh, milkshakes so we sit down and we're eating both of us are kind of just like this food is uh, something tastes off about it not just that it's okay or average at best but that it's kind of something off and as like i put a fry down or sandwich down or whatever i had in my hand and i'm about to tell Devin i'm not really digging this a fucking nut one of those roaches crawls from underneath the table. Oh, yeah. That thing had been crawling on under the table with, like, our legs and shit under there. Roaches don't bother me that much, but still, like, in a dining restaurant, that's not something you want to see. So it crawls from underneath the table onto the table and walks right in front of Devin and I, like, right in the middle of our food, unspoken. We both just pick up all our shit, dump it, and leave. We're like, you know what? <laughs> we gave them 30 bucks of our food. We're not even gonna bitch or moan because, like, we just want to get the fuck out of here. I don't know what we did for food later that night, but we definitely just kind of blew 15 bucks worth of diner food there. Yeah. Seinfeld underscore I'm out dot gif. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Also, too, kind of going back to post-Katrina, did you ever have to deal with this? Did you ever have to, like, help out family members or friends move their refrigerators that they had left behind in the store? Yeah, yeah. So, for uh, those who didn't experience Hurricane Katrina, when people were allowed to move back into, like, the coastal area and New Orleans reopened and all that. I, I don't know. Was it like health and safety or one of the federal institutions? It might have even been like CDC directed that when you go, don't open your whatever you do. Do not open your refrigerator yeah. and freezer because the power had been out for several months. And, you know, whatever food was left in there, just don't open your fr- unless you want to get sick. And they said, like, duct tape your entire refrigerator closed, multiple la- layers of duct tape and move it out to the road by a certain date. And there will be a 
specific pickup for just re- used refrigerators with like all the food still in it. I'll never forget like one of the first things I ever did when I got back to the house. I helped my dad and one of our neighbors came over to help us pick up the fridge and move it. And it was full of shit that we had left there pre-storm. Yeah. And move it from the kitchen down to the curb. And you could hear like the Tupperware and shit moving around in there as it was going on. And the whole time I'm just picturing like what if somehow the tape ripped off and just whatever fucking fungal infection came, like spilled out everywhere and it reminded me of like that cowboy bebop episode where like there's that old, <laughs> yeah. like the, the thing growing in the fridge uh that was another kind of i guess food related thing that popped in my head too <laughs> uh so before we get started talking about raw i think we are probably gonna do a little uh little shout out to our friends at podcoin you guys heard of podcoin podcoin's pretty cool I heard that you can uh, just, you know, earn cryptocurrency and get paid for, uh, you know, just listening to our podcast and doing that thing you always do. So that's pretty cool. I think I'm going to take mine and donate to some kind of charity that we haven't decided on yet. What about you, Derek? How do you feel about PodCoin? I think it's great. Every single podcast I listen to is on there, and it's pretty much user-friendly in the same way that any other podcast-related app that I've used in the past is. I think I might donate my stuff to uh, Global Warming, because that's one of the charities that they've listed there. Cool. Well, guess what? We have a special code for you that you can get 300 bonus pod coins just for signing up. That code is D-A-R-E. Dare. Just like our podcast. Watch if you dare. Thank you, Podcoin, for having us on. And seriously, they have been extremely kind to our podcast. So, yeah, please support us on there and support Podcoin. Yep. Definitely do that. And again, that code is D-A-R-E. Use that referral code to get 300 bonus coins when you sign up. All right. So on to this week's movie, the 2016 French-Belgian horror movie, Raw. Actually, the short is not a prequel at all. There are two different stories. But it's true that it's the same actress that plays the main character, Garance Marillier. And I gave the same name to my main characters. I like that there is a bond in between my movies, like they are brothers and sisters, if you wish. And also because the name Justine comes from Justine ou les malheurs de la vertu by the Marquis de Sade, which is the story also of a, of a sexual awakening that is, um, that is linked to um, body metamorphosing and uh, masochism and pain and everything. It's a hard awakening, let's say, to sexuality. But in the end, she she discovers a taste for that in herself. So that's why I called my, uh, both my characters Justine. But the thing that links both really in terms of themes is that both of them are about body metamorphosis and also about um, the building of moral identities and the relationship to femininity, the discovery of femininity in my characters. I wanted to put my audience in the shoes of someone that uh, they would qualify as inhuman um, normally. Because I wanted to reflect upon what it is to be human. What does it mean? Uh, if you lose a limb, does it, does it make you the same person? Are you still human? Are you the same person, the same person as you were before? How does the identities relate related to uh, the body transformations and stuff like that? You know. And I thought, with being inhuman or in, or human, I thought about the three types of humanity: 
murder, incest and cannibalism. Cannibalism for me made total sense because again, it's all about ingesting body and digesting body and puking bodies out and stuff like that. There is a full circulation of life there that is very interesting to me. I wondered why, why do, do the people keep qualifying um, cannibals as being monsters? Like they're not real, like they're vampires or werewolves. But cannibals are people just like us. I mean, the difference between you and the cannibal is, is almost inexistent. You know, you are two human beings and the only thing is that they did and you did not, which is a very thin line, right? And um, I wanted to, to, to the audience to explore this dark side of humanity and to stop repressing it and to stop putting it out of humanity by using this word inhuman because I think the more you acknowledge this dark side the more you will be you will be able to grow up as a moral person and as a real human being it is directed by Julia Ducournau um, I had to literally load up 30 fucking YouTube videos before I heard anybody like actually brave enough to try to pronounce her name everybody was just like and the director Ju Julia it, J Julia, the director Julia, just okay. That's that's me. Yeah, I'm gonna allow. Like, you're gonna be doing all the pronunciation this this episode. So, so like Derek mentioned, um, this movie hit festivals in 2016. Um, it was at Cannes and Toronto International and such as. This movie definitely kind of built a hype beforehand because supposedly, allegedly, there were people, you know, passing out and throwing up in the audience. And one of the festivals, they handed out like raw themed barf bags. So it kind of had that viral marketing going um, while it was on the festival circuit. And it got a limited release in 2017, which us living in the South, I mean, it didn't come anywhere near us. It didn't even go to New Orleans that I'm aware of. I never saw it, at least otherwise I would have gone. So I didn't check this movie out until basically just now like this is honestly the only movie we have done so far where it was my first viewing this movie was in my netflix queue for the longest time which like i joked about earlier now like it's just no longer on netflix thanks a lot so this is the first time that i've like on the podcast watched a movie for the first time but i really enjoyed it i dug it have some thoughts you'll catch in a second how about you, Derek? Yeah. So this is a horror movie that I think a very specific audience will be scared out of their minds or really kind of disgusted out of their minds. I think the, the horror very much in this is visceral, but visceral in the way of, uh, I don't know, uh, just it can be very uh, queasy for some people. You have a light stomach. I recommend not watching this movie, at least. The, like the blood and gore in this is very specific. Yeah. It's very specifically visceral. And so you can be the kind of person where like, okay, yeah, blood splatter guts all day long. But there are going to be things in this movie where you're just like, because <laughs> this movie does a really good job of like making you kind of viscerally empathize with the pain that is occurring. So, yeah, it's definitely like a different style of gore that's going to make some people uneasy. Yeah. For someone like me, where kind of more realistic horror doesn't scare me as much. It was an easier watch for me. Granted, there were some disturbing scenes that like sat with me a little bit after I watched it. It's hard for me to say creeped me out because when I say something creeps me out, I'm thinking more like supernatural. The movie made you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel uncomfortable. It puts you in a weird headspace. That, yeah. that is the most straight up way to say it is this movie consistently makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Whether that's like psychologically, physically, emotionally, like this movie puts you in like a state of unease for sure yeah and 
I mean, granted, there are, were two like scenes, and I'll I'll, I'll touch on them when we uh, go in depth about the movie. But there were two scenes that did jump scare me, but for probably dumb reasons that that I'm kind of ashamed to admit to. But otherwise, this movie very much is about fulfillment, primal fulfillment specifically, or lack thereof, almost chasing the fulfillment, whether that be hunger, sexual desire, what have you, just the human desires in general. I did watch an interview with the director and off topic for a second, man, that director, she fucking knows like multiple languages because she speaks English better than I do. I was going into whatever interview I watched. I was going into it expecting like, oh, it'll be subtitled. That's fine. Whatever. Yeah. And she just starts talking in English like it's a language that she's spoken all her life, which it probably has been. (laughs) That's probably most European people. So Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but yeah, she was talking about how she, while she was exploring like primal nature and she also wanted this movie in a weird way to be a coming of age story which I could definitely see how it is yeah for sure a story about sisterhood and a story she wanted to do a story that kind of showed not to be sympathetic in the way that like I agree with these actions like I grew cannibalism but more and just let's show the side of cannibalism that horror movies generally don't talk about because usually when you go into a horror movie and there's a cannibal that person's already monstrous yeah. they've been a cannibal for a while now and she she wanted more to kind of turn that on its head and be like, no, let's follow the steps that made this person yeah. into who they are. You don't see how the Texas Chainsaw family became the way that they are. You don't see how Hannibal Lecter, okay, I take it back. You do see how Hannibal Lecter became who he is. That movie is fucking terrible, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, like they, they already start off at that place. Yeah, she wanted to explore the empathetic side of what is considered a general global humanity taboo. Because yeah. I think what there are three like human taboos. It's murder, cannibalism, and I think something else. I think incest. Incest, maybe, yeah. And uh, yeah, she just kind of wanted to go tackle a taboo subject that is a subject that a lot of horror movies do tackle, but... Not in this way. Yeah, a different perspective, basically. Yeah. I really enjoyed this movie, and it's definitely one that I've thought about a lot of the last few days. I find De Cornell to be very interestingly contradictory this movie has a lot of horror imagery it has a lot of horror themes and it's interesting to read some interviews with her where she's like yeah this is not a horror movie in my movie that is filled with body horror you know she'll say you know yeah i don't think that this movie is from a like feminine point of view at all i don't think there's any kind of like feminine themes in this movie while i was writing this movie and really expressing a lot of my feminine rage like it's interesting kind of listen to her talk through the process and I, I really enjoy hearing filmmakers discuss their process and the craft the way that she does because most movie directors which again most movie directors in the industry are typically male right right you have a spectrum where you have people like John Carpenter who will basically tell you nothing. So you ask him questions and a lot of the time it's just going to be like, you know, what made you like, what inspired you to blah, blah, blah. And he'll just be like, I don't know. I just thought it was scary. <laughs> yeah, he just gives you like a really like bland answer, right? And then there are people on the opposite side, like David Cronenberg, where you ask him a question and he will give you like the most encyclopedia dot, dot, dot. Yes, these are all the steps. Here's a full explanation. This is exactly what I was thinking and feeling. And then in the middle, you have someone like David Lynch, you know, who you ask him like, what inspired you to do blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, I had a really good pie this one time, right? Like he doesn't give you an answer and none of it makes sense, but he'll go on and on. 
Duke Cornell is interesting because she will talk about her process and you can tell that she is like actively digesting the question and giving an answer in that moment and she is like continuing to rethink the process. I read several interviews and I listened to several interviews with her about this movie and people were asking her a lot of the same fucking questions because that's how press tours work. You get asked the same questions over and over. What drew you to horror? What scares you? What blah blah blah. Right. Almost every single time she would give a different answer because she's continuing to kind of actively like process and chew and think through you know what she was doing yeah because i don't think she's doomed being contradictory on purpose i don't think she's even trying to like not even trying to prop up her movie as this thing that's above horror i think it's more just her kind of almost having talking to a mirror image of herself kind of like well i think it's this but maybe you're right maybe it isn't that and it's actually this except she's just doing that in her head as she's doing an interview yeah and i mean she she really is fascinating to listen to uh like i said i listened to that interview i checked out one or two other interviews and i just like love hearing her talk about this movie it's fascinating to pick her brain yeah like i said interestingly contradictory is kind of like how i would describe her and like i said i really enjoyed listening to kind of her talk through the process you know specifically around again like her viewpoint of like this is what a movie is about growing up this is what a movie is like from this point of view like i look at the character like this as I'm thinking about them. Like, I completely build all this stuff out ahead of time. All of that was very, very interesting. And one thing I find interesting that I've heard her discuss in multiple interviews is that, like, she claims to have, like, not at all consciously written this movie specifically with a feminist point of view or agenda or anything like that. Which, anybody that watches this movie is going to realize, like, that is totally, like, at the core of this movie in so many ways. But if it is true, she's being honest that, you know, the movie was not consciously written with a message or an agenda that makes it that much more like purely cinematic and creative because it's just so deeply her and it's just so yeah. deeply like her viewpoint and her processes and she's painting her inner soul on the screen and all these things are coming out and all these feminist like themes and POV and agendas and just feelings are coming out you know but she doesn't like actively realize it because that's not like she's not trying to do that but because that's what she's feeling and she because she is a woman like that's what we're getting and that's so fulfilling from an audience standpoint I think yeah and no matter like how much weird shit is in this movie like there's tons of like weird stuff in this movie that has nothing to do with anything for example I mean there's just throwaway shit like there's a scene where they're sitting in a waiting room and this old man is just like making weird faces and then he like flips his dentures out that scene has nothing to do with anything but like it's just there this movie's full of stuff like that that like elicits response and emotion and it makes you kind of question even though it's not necessarily like this is the story da 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 and there's so much imagery in this movie too that she specifically is showing you but so much imagery that is like purely an emotional like you could tell it was probably something that she made a decision on in the moment because it felt right and that's like so solid from like again an audience perspective to see a movie made like that well and the other on top of all that too I think another thing that adds to it is the fact that we still even though I guess entertainment thankfully is moving in the direction of being more inclusive but just the idea of like a relatively younger female director writing a horror movie with the two main characters just happening to be sisters and maybe she really did just like write it as like no I just wanted to make this horror 
horror movie to show the empathy of a cannibal, blah, blah, blah. And I just so happen to like make it the main character's female. I'm a female and this is my movie. But it's that I don't want to say like we're starved for it, but it's just that it's been such a male dominated cinema in general has been such a male dominated medium that now that we're getting like something like this drops, it is feminist because it has to be because yeah. there's nothing else to compare it to because horror hasn't been as inclusive towards women, which hopefully we can we're moving in that direction now where like movies like this can come out on the regular and we don't have to sit there and pick at it being like, oh, this is overtly feminist, even when the director's saying, oh, I didn't mean it to be that way because it just becomes the norm of like oh yeah there's plenty of inclusion and representation and horror another thing too that i wanted to like mention is this movie to me if i had to group it with other movies that we've watched i would say i would group it with it follows black coat's daughter and audition and it just so happens that all three of those movies focus on female characters as well actually now that i think about it but more so also in kind of stylistic choices like i get touches of black coat's daughter from the main character in this movie the daughter acts very much like the girl from black coat's daughter yeah a little bit like the girl from it follows a lot of the more thematic elements of the movie are kind of that sort of artsy horror like it follows is and then the visceral like violent horror and gore and stuff is reminiscent to me of audition those were kind of movies that popped up in my mind as i was watching this one i don't know if you had the same feeling as i did yeah i mean the the violence in this movie is used sparingly but when it is used it is intense and it's it's like that you know for a reason you know and one thing that i do enjoy about this movie is you know like i said a second ago the psychology of everything underneath is deeply feminine but the shock and the empathy in this movie are universally relatable everybody can imagine the types of social pains that justine is experiencing throughout this movie and just what it's like being in college being around other people for the first time you know being away from your parents and learning to become yourself and the awkwardness that comes along with that. Everybody can imagine the physical pains that we see in this movie. Like, when you see visceral fucking things in this movie, like somebody literally, like, getting an appendage chopped off, or just something like giving yourself a bikini wax, there are things in this movie that you see, and because of how they're shot and staged, it's just so visceral. I am not a woman. I have never waxed anything on my body. I've never, like, seriously, like, shaved anything on my body. I can't wrap my head around that because I've not done that. But this movie makes me completely understand what that looks like and what that feels like. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's so visceral and it elicits such a good sense of empathy with the audience. Kind of going back to what you mentioned a second ago. I mean, for years people have complained about like how all movies just seem to be the same and how Hollywood like continues to recycle the same old ideas. Blah 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 blah. Well, guess what? The fucking key to better movies key to like more interesting movies to more challenging movies to movies that like feel new and fresh and engaging etc is diversity the reason why we have movies that just kind of overwhelmingly feel stale is because they are overwhelmingly written directed produced by mostly straight white dudes right older guys too that too (laughs) yes right so like the the emergence of the internet and digital filmmaking, low cost digital filmmaking, you know, have just greatly diversified filmmaking in general, and it's allowed more voices to be heard, which is good, right? But there's still kind of this issue of you know the status quo having still kind of a firm hold on the tap at the end of the day, and kind of still relegating what comes out and what gets exposure and what gets talked about. You know, the industry as a whole is like moving forward and definitely improving, which is good. But at the end of the day, like what I've never understood is 
me as a straight white male. Can I relate to... I don't know, like a, a single mother, you know, and her like living experience in the Congo. No, I have no idea what that's like. I don't know like what a trans man living in China is dealing with or a homeless teenager growing up in like Chicago is dealing with, right? Like I can't relate to those things. That's not me. It's not my background. But like at the end of the day, movies give you a glimpse into that life and into that experience and help you empathize with those struggles and find commonalities to relate to. And just because that experience is like foreign to mine doesn't mean that I won't find a way to register with that movie or that I'm not interested, right? Like that's the primary issue with producers so often is that they just like fucking struggle to understand that like not only is there an audience for every story, no matter how small that audience is, like there's always an audience for every story, but also just the asinine assumption that like like, I don't care or that I can't find meaning in those stories. Yeah. That's the meaning to, like, my intellectual and emotional intelligence that, like, producers in the Hollywood industry would just assume, like, oh, yeah, we don't need to tell these stories because who cares, dot, 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 they're not marketable, whatever, right? Like, that's what's so good about this movie is this is such a specific point of view that is female specifically, non-American specifically. I was just about to say that's another thing is that this movie also shows that, you know, with America having Hollywood and probably the global film industry being dominated by Hollywood yeah. and, and America in general, here's yet another thing. And it's not only just gender and, and age, uh, but now it's also nationality. Like, this is a French-Belgian co-made movie. Yeah, which... Has me asking a lot of questions about what, like, college is like in France, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we'll, we'll touch on that in a sec. But yeah, and, and actually in, in, in French, this movie was called Grave, yeah. not Raw. And Raw is actually the uh, our title for it. And uh, on a li- more lighthearted note, something that I texted you, Mansfield, earlier this week after I watched it was, to also sort of give you an idea of what this movie's about, imagine if you have seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, imagine the episode Mac and Dennis Manhunter. <laughs> the subplot where Charlie and D are eating Frank's meats and Frank tells them that they ate human meat and then they like decide that they're going to be cannibals now because they have the quote unquote the hunger. That's what this movie is, except it's French and it deals with sisters. Yep. And, you know, I guess the last kind of thing I want to say specifically too, I mean, this again all ties back into what I've been saying, but one other thing that I appreciate about this movie specifically is the two lead characters and the This is something that I love about Ginger Snaps, for instance. You know, I really like it about Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet's kind of a different side of the coin, but so often in horror movie, women are specifically either victims or they're like some kind of unwilling, unwitting vessels for evil, right? Like Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist or whatever. This film specifically is about women who like choose to embrace their inner selves and that rage and understand that in order to like be who they are they have to embrace that that's interesting to me on a couple of different levels just partly it's interesting to see something that is like specifically different from the tropes we're used to but also just it's specific to those characters in this particular story and that's special to this particular 
film overall and nothing is ever really gonna like do that same exact thing the same exact way yeah so before uh we're about to jump into the film more in detail i will say again if you're squeamish you want to steer clear of this movie this is like probably the exorcist for squeamish people yeah uh it it tackles that type of horror really really well heather can basically handle any kind of gore that i throw at her at this point but there was definitely a scene in this movie where she was losing her fucking mind screaming and yeah. just like, no, 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 no. Yeah, so like if cannibalism's type of visceral gore horror is what scares you, then stay the fuck away from this one until you get a thicker skin. And or, and or, uh, maybe some animal stuff. Yeah, Again, and animal stuff. This <laughs> takes place at a veterinarian school. You're not seeing like outright animal abuse, but it is at a vet school. You're gonna see like them dissecting dogs and you're gonna see like fetal animals in like jars of formaldehyde and stuff like that so just yeah. you're sensitive about animal stuff might not be the movie for you there's a lot of party scenes and things like that that honestly got my social anxiety a little ra- <laughs> raised up like because like Bruh, uh, this whole fucking <laughs> movie okay so that like let's just start there let's just start there this yeah we'll, whole we'll start fucking there. movie heather and i were both constantly just like fuck this school fuck this college fuck right like hazing bullshit i wouldn't put up with this horse shit this is part of the reason why like i would never consider joining like any kind of fraternity or any kind of group where like hazing is a thing because you know what i don't fucking have fight or flight i have like fight and fight harder so i just wouldn't put up with that shit like if some douchebag feels like oh i'm gonna like drop blood all over you and i'm gonna make you like crawl on the ground like a dog because it's hazing no i would fucking punch you in the face not putting up with that shit i i'm sorry i'm not gonna degrade myself just yeah, to get, no. like into your exclusive club which hey uh listeners out there who are in a frat or sorority or have been in a frat sorority five stars on itunes please we really appreciate <laughs> you listening <laughs> or anybody who's been in a really like insanely abusive uh medical school situation which the whole time too and then heather and i were watching this i kept thinking like oh yeah did our friend jeff like have to deal with any of this bullshit i'm sure he had we'll have to ask him that did they like get him like wasted drunk and like put him like in a freezer with a dead body, a body. you know yeah. like they do anything like that you have to sleep on the morgue slab tonight we're gonna roll you in yeah all the freshmen have to do this yeah another thing i texted aaron uh after watching this movie was is this fucking vet school run by pitbull and hannibal lecter it's <laughs> like seriously like it goes from zero to 60 party moments where it's just like oh yeah this is pitbull's come to town he's throwing a fucking rager to like this takes place in like a 1930s ass building that like lighting sucks it looks like dr hannibal lecter's lab of fucking animal guts everything just has that like green blue fluorescent sterile gross kind of look to it but yeah i just the um that the whole environment just gives me fucking scabies looking at it yeah it reminded me of the school in black coat's daughter yeah again sort of same style like old as fuck building with weird lighting except this one had pitbull from time to time like yeah (laughs) Pitbull, Hannibal Lecter, and the guys from Animal House, that they all fucking came together and made a vet school in in France. Basically. So, we're gonna kind of breeze through the plot a little bit, because, like I mentioned, there are a lot of things in this movie that don't always connect, but we're gonna kind of hit the main points of the plot and kind of go from there, because this really is a movie that I think, like, you should watch organically and just kind of see things as they unfold, because it is so visually heavy. So, kind of to get started, the movie opens... 
on a road in kind of rural France and we see a car heading down the road and right as the car kind of gets close to us somebody dashes out into the middle of the road causing the car to swerve and wreck and that was jump scare number one for me I for whatever reason that got me so hard I I don't know if it was like because it was like oh this is like watching a snuff film now yeah (laughs) just someone darting immediately in front of a car to like cause it to crash like I don't know it was just so the way it was shot and the way it was done it got me pretty hard yeah we then cut to our main character justine played by garance millie garance marillier 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 french nailed it yeah um this was her first feature she had been in some shorts beforehand uh basically everybody in this movie that we're going to talk about has either just been in shorts or maybe some tv stuff beforehand these are not people who have done like a lot of big feature stuff yet but i guarantee you most people from this movie are going to be heading on to some bigger things because the performances across the board were all really good really fucking good so we then go to our main character justine and she is at a restaurant just some kind of regular family restaurant with her parents and they're eating a meal and this cracked me the fuck up justine is vegetarian and her family is vegetarian and of course they go to a restaurant and what does she fucking eat just a giant fucking plate of potatoes (laughs) (laughs) it instantly reminded me of i think it was an episode of parks and rec yes i I think it was parks and rec it was either parks and rec or it was master of none but i want to say it was parks and rec regardless it was aziz and sorry and he like brings a girl out on a date and they specifically go to a bar barbecue place and then she's just like oh yeah i'm vegetarian and he's like okay cool well like are you still good she's like yeah i'm fine and you just see her like eating potatoes and pickles (laughs) so anyway she's down with her sad plate of potatoes which okay by the way back up being vegetarian is fine and great and you know what heather and i have been trying to adjust our diet eat less meat each of us cooks twice a week typically with our schedules the way that they are the rule we kind of made was one meal has to be vegetarian right guess what eating vegetarian is totally fucking fine if you like eating vegetables and as long as you don't try to like substitute like things for meat and things that you aren't supposed to be eating as vegetarian guess what you won't fucking miss it eat a lot of asian food eat a lot of indian eat a lot of like thai vietnamese stuff guess what you won't fucking miss meat it's fine eat vegetables for vegetables sake don't try to make vegetables into meat segue ended anyway slinging hot takes here. yeah so anyway justine's digging into her plate of potatoes and finds like a giant chunk of meat that was clearly flavoring the potatoes right or somehow like got underneath there and her mom flips the fuck out it's like a gigantic hunk of sausage yeah it's not just like flecks of bacon or whatever in these potatoes it's like a fucking yeah sausage. this is like half a half a fucking bratwurst her mom flips the fuck out and pulls that like i want to talk to your manager haircut kind of thing where she like storms the fuck back up and is just yelling at them like we're vegetarian and blah 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 and you put meat on her plate losing her mind her parents are kind of controlling and you definitely get that sense of things and she has definitely been kind of sheltered by her family this entire time so they get back in the car continue to drive they arrive at this vet school and you realize oh they are bringing her to college essentially they even mention like hey yeah when we went here blah 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 so her parents were also there and we later find out that justine's older sister alexia is also at the school so we meet her pretty quickly yeah they mention that she's like supposed to pick her up from where they're dropping her off and bring her to the school or something yeah so she gets to the school and she gets to the dorm she meets her roommate adrian right away he basically says like yep 
I'm your roommate. I'm gay. This is like a co-ed dorm or whatever. Yeah, you were supposed to have a female roommate, but whatever. Like, they didn't think anything of it. So, guess what? We're roommates. Deal with it. Yeah. And pretty much right away, like, they go to bed the first night and, like, overnight hazing bullshit begins with the upperclassmen. So, they, like, hurt everybody in their sleeping clothes out into the hallways and toss their rooms and throw their blankets and their beds and shit out the windows. And it's not just hazing. This is, like, military-style hazing. Yeah, they have on, like, balaclavas and flashlights and shit, and they're, like, ripping people out of beds in the middle of the night and screaming and shit. Yeah, like, this is stuff I've heard about at, like, not necessarily, like, at West Point, but sort of kind of, like, at West Point, but more, like, at, like, Dad's old maritime school. They pulled shit like this where, like, they wake you up in the middle of the night and, like, hang you upside down and shit and throw your mattress out into the quad and you had to go pick it up and if you wanted to sleep that night and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so they basically bring them in the middle of the night you know out of the dorms lead them around blindfold them and there's a really eerie scene where they're all crawling on all fours through this kind of parking garage area and it's a really interesting moment where it's in slow motion it's in this kind of weird darkness they're all kind of half clothed as well it's very evocative of like cattle and animals yeah if if you didn't know the context of the scene it's super confusing yeah it would be a freaky fucking scene to see because i mean my my head went to like oh is this the start of human centipede is this where this movie's going yeah i i don't think if you didn't go into this movie knowing it is about a vet school i think you would still be kind of confused as to what's going on because everything is done so out of context and there's nobody stopping to necessarily explain like oh yeah we're dropping our daughter off of vet school it's just kind of non sequitur thing that you're not quite connecting unless you're like really inferring and paying attention or you just know what the premise is going into but you figure it out fairly quick yeah it's very straightforward it's not like when we're talking about this it's not like david lynch or even like phantasm it's not that weird it's not that no no it's not that weird it's it's very straightforward and you know what's going on it's just that a lot of the details are shared in general conversation or in a show don't tell manner and it's just it's real life it's like one of those things where like yeah like when we're going about our days we don't stop and look at the camera and be like now i'm gonna go to the grocery store audience and then go to the grocery store yeah you just do things because that's what you do yeah it's your day so anyway they're basically all kind of herded to a different part of campus and just kind of dropped into this giant rave party so it's just kind of this first night get wasted party everybody kind of like get out of your comfort zones a little bit you're all mr worldwide naked yeah there's just you know club music bouncing and everybody's clearly just like doing drugs and drinking in every direction yeah i mean and they are showing like drug use drinking like dudes making out with dudes and chicks chicks making out with chicks and dudes it's like half orgy half binge fest with uh alcohol and drugs just what you would expect in studio 54 i guess back in the 70s i don't know it's just very it's it's a little more wild than any of the college parties that we went to and we went to some pretty wild ones but i wouldn't necessarily think it's too wild for europe (laughs) yeah that's a very good point that's a very good point like this is like one of the wildest parties like you and i ever went to in college times two yeah and even to the point where like things start getting weird like you know how when a party goes on too long i think one of the last podcast marcus one time talked about that when a party goes on too long and it takes a turn where it's all fun and games to where it gets real fucking weird real fast yep yeah it's all that wrapped up into one giant ball of a, of a mess of human beings yeah 
So at this party, Justine is kind of clearly out of place and uncomfortable, and she's just kind of bouncing from, like, corner to corner like a fucking pinball until eventually she spots her sister Alexia. And, you know, they hug real big, and, you know, they kind of chit-chat and catch up, and they immediately ditch the party. And Alexia kind of takes her through the hallways and into some of the classrooms, and they find an old class photo of when their parents were there. By the way, second jump scare for me, because there was a see like a false jump scare where like they're going through the hallway and like it's all dark and like she keeps calling out to her sister and then her sister like turns on the flashlight real quick on her own face and like hisses at her yeah it jump scared me because i'm a little baby (laughs) the one thing that they kind of notice is that these group photos of every class year um they're all wearing their lab coats but they're all covered in blood um so the next morning that happens well half of them like some people's faces are blacked out with like a marker and and uh, her sister even makes it a point of like, those are the people who refuse to participate basically yeah. in like these hazing rituals. So the next morning, the new class is, you know, brought out. They're all posed for the photo. And of course, they get the like Carrie style bucket of blood splattered all over them as the picture is taken. They then all kind of get lined up. And one by one, they have to go through this table of the upper year men who are upper year, upper, upper class. Upper class yeah. men. And they are basically being forced to eat a raw rabbit kidney. They just have like a giant kind of pickled jar of all these little rabbit kidneys and they're just kind of reaching into the jar and just popping them into people's mouths as they go by and they have to like chew it up and swallow it and eat it and then they, you know, get to go on. And initially, Justine refuses because she's vegetarian. She tells them like, no, I'm not going to eat this fucking thing. I'm vegetarian. They're like, no, bullshit. You have to fucking eat this. This is part of the thing or like, that's it. You know, you're you're going to be an outcast or whatever. And Justine says like, no, seriously, I'm vegetarian. My sister's right Right there, just ask her. And they're like, okay, Alexia, like, what's the deal? And she's like, oh, no, fuck it. I'm not a vegetarian. I don't know what she's talking about. And Alexia walks over and grabs, like, two of them and just pops them and eats them immediately. And just kind of gives her sister this, like, shit stare. And, you know, eventually she coerces Justine into eating one. And Justine eats it, like, really kind of just hates it, swallows it, and, you know, moves on from there. Yeah, it's like walking away with Adrian. Adrian's, like, trying to help her along because she's gagging and all that. Yeah. And... Uh, right off the bat, my mind immediately went to, okay, there's something with this family when it comes to meat. It must be something that moves along generation to generation because it's pretty obvious, at least it was to me, that her sister, uh, the actress is Ella Rumpf. Yeah. The way she portrays this character is she's obviously hiding something, but not hiding something as like in a secret that'll tear things apart, but more of just like hiding who she actually is. And uh, she, yeah, she wants to fit in. She wants to be part of the cool crowd of upperclassmen. So she, she acts like the party girl and in this moment I could tell she was lying when when she was like denies like oh no I'm not vegetarian what are you talking about basically yeah and you know again this is another situation of this is not my experience but this movie does a good job of making me empathize with that I'm the oldest of four boys, so I have never been in this situation of like, oh, I'm seeing my older sibling in a completely different light than I like 
normally know them in in a different context and they're acting different right but this is totally what's going on is you know this kind of still naive innocent girl is seeing her sister as a completely different person than like what she knows explicitly and that's like really throwing her off and this was this was the exact thing I could relate to because I'm actually the youngest of three and I totally have had this moment where like I visited one of my older sisters at college or something or even when they were still in high school and I kind of found out what they're really like when mom and dad aren't around yeah and I was just like oh okay it's like seeing one of your siblings for the first time like smoking a cigarette or drinking a beer and you're just like oh wait what so later that night Justine starts to feel really uncomfortable and she's scratching herself really hard kind of all over her body and she's rolling around in bed and finally she just wakes up and realizes she has this like fucking wicked rash that has broken out all over her body Um, and she goes to the campus doctor the next day who basically just says like you got food poisoning here's a cream put this on the rash you'll be better in a few days the the doctor kind of tells her this story about this girl who came in that was sick and like needing help and the girl was very overweight and the point that she was making with the story was that this girl happened to be just so overwhelmingly happy that somebody like saw her for who she was without immediately seeing her as this girl who is overweight. You know, kind of the underlying point of that is clearly like what we are seeing in Justine's journey throughout this movie, that she is becoming who she actually is and wants love and acceptance for that without having to like be conscious of the outside external kinds of things, you know, and it's kind of a throwaway scene, but again, it's not because it wouldn't be in the movie if it wasn't there for a specific reason but you don't immediately kind of make the connections yeah and the doctor is also because the doctor obviously is the doctor for the vet school so she's seeing all these students and she she knows what's going on like she knows what happens around the school yeah and she even almost has that attitude of like look seriously if you are not comfortable this isn't who you are with all this rush shit ignore it you know once you've graduated and you're a vet no this is gonna matter kind of like that whole thing where like once you get to college from high school all that drama in high school doesn't fucking matter anymore day one and also too this is probably the first instance for squeamish viewers of I guess sort of a little bit of body horror because man this rash is all over her like all over her arms her legs like in her inner thighs and it's like skin peeling like yeah you see her like peel some of the like like dead skin scaly skin yeah it's very scaly very psorias to the max basically which you know I I didn't have time to kind of research this before we started talking but I remember years and years ago reading something about Gandhi specifically and he was you know vegetarian and at some point when he was young I seem to remember like reading something about him eating meat it was kind of in a social situation where he was at like a different family's house and that family ate meat because they were different religion and it literally made him sick like it made him like physically ill he had a rash he had violent stomach and like poop issues and it like literally caused his body to just like revolt so I'm kind of curious to know some of the medical background I'm sure you probably know some of that just off the top of your head that was something that I was wanting to look up beforehand and just didn't have time it makes sense like I mean granted I think this movie like ratchets it up with this rash a little bit oh definitely yeah I think it's almost symbolic of like this is the change of like shedding her old skin basically wink wink nudge nudge but um yeah you can totally have like rashes with food poisoning or even just a food 
food allergy or you're just not used to something. I mean, it's the same idea of like going to another part of the country or a different country. And if you happen to drink the water from the tap, you're going to have probably some bowel issues because yeah. your normal bacteria flora in your body just isn't used to whatever normal flora is in that tap water. For me, especially, it's not even just like a different country. Like if I go to a different part of the United States and I start drinking water in a different area, maybe it's heavier water or softer water or whatever, I'll have issues for a little while until my body adjusts to it. So yeah, yeah, this is totally a plausible thing. But like you said, this movie kind of ratchets it to 11 because yeah. immediately <laughs> Justine starts to have these cravings for meat and it kind of expresses itself in these very interesting ways where the hunger yeah the hunger i crave meat um <laughs> anyway she's doing kind of weird awkward sketchy things like literally picking up a hamburger patty in the lunch cafeteria line with her bare fucking hands and just stuffing it in the coat pocket of her lab coat <laughs> and so she goes to check out and like pay for her food and she has this greasy gravy covered seeping like hamburger patty in her pocket and the girl's like um what did you put in your pocket <laughs> yeah, you pay for nothing. that shit yeah nothing uh, it's fucking seeping out of the white glass yeah <laughs> she even takes her roommate Adrian they like literally get on a bus and like leave the school to go to a nearby gas station just to, like get shawarma and she just doesn't want anybody to like see her eating meat after she made such a fucking stunt at the hazing thing and again like we're kind of breezing through details because there's a lot of color to this story that is not necessarily like a hundred percent important to the plot per se but there's an interesting moment in this scene where the two of them are sitting outside this gas station eating and this kind of burly truck driver guy comes up and starts just kind of chit-chatting with them in a very threatening and kind of ominous way but he's definitely like touching on adrian awkwardly and like squeezing his ear and kind of caressing, caressing him, him yeah. a little bit yeah. kind of in a, in a threatening i see exactly who you are and i like am expressing this desire to want you in a very like primal and not necessarily like comfortable way like he's very awkwardly threatening and it causes adrian and justine to both like freeze up because what are they going to do in that situation right but it, you know the truck driver just moves on yeah he basically just like yeah stay in school don't become me yeah like walks off and it's just kind of one of those weird moments where again it adds character color to the movie but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like the plot as a whole which i i did want to bring this up because i I'll, i think it'll come back later on but as they're on that bus as they're taking that trip off school campus they are on that road that was at the beginning of the movie yeah and they are passing a crashed car and like the ambulance and everything they're already there taking care of it and she kind of like moves closer to the window to see the dead body basically yeah. and she yeah they, they see like a body and the sheets covered over it like the person didn't survive in it and I wanted to touch on that here because that'll come back up later yeah. and I wanted to ask you I have my own personal theory about that and I wanted to ask you myself so there's a lot of quick scenes in succession and they don't necessarily fall into any specific order because that doesn't matter but there right. there is a scene where you see her and Adrian in class 
class sitting next to each other taking an exam. Adrian is kind of side-eyeing her paper and clearly trying to cheat off of her and she kind of you know immediately sees what he's doing pulls her paper over and then there's a scene later where her professor is basically just chastising her and saying like look it's your fault that he was cheating and I pity him because he's never going to be super successful but you're this wonder child and your parents were brilliant and you're brilliant and I expect more from you than to like let him cheat off your paper and blah 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 and he's just you know unfairly giving her shit because she's kind of the star student uncharacteristically dickish too because like he's saying like he would way prefer her to fall and fail yeah than him uh just because he like almost like i want to see somebody as like successful and as i guess privileged as you are fail yeah <laughs> it's like dude you're saying some shit that could get professors fired at least here in the states yeah but Ultimately, while he's having this conversation with her, you see her chewing on the end of her hair, just out of, like, nervousness and anxiety. She's kind of chewing on her hair, and then immediately kind of cuts to her, like, getting up in the middle of the night, going to the bathroom, and vomiting, and just pulling long hunks of hair out of her throat, and just gagging, like, all this wet, fucking gross hair that she's pulling out of her throat, and throwing in the toilet, and clearly, like, you see, like, oh, shit, she has been doing this for, like, probably weeks. The flow of time in this movie is also kind of odd, too, because I think ultimately this movie ends after the entire first year. It's not like this movie's taking place over, like, a week. This is a pretty long process, but the movie's sense of time is kind of odd, so you don't necessarily realize it, but watching this scene where you see her pulling all this wet hair out of her throat, you realize, like, oh, shit, she has been doing this for, like, weeks. This is, like, a regular anxiety thing with her where she's been, like, eating her hair. And it's pretty, uh, pretty realistic, because, yeah. I mean, it's called Rapunzel Syndrome. Um, trichophagia, I think, is the name of it. Okay. Where uh, it's like a psychiatric and and also gastro problem where uh, people ingest their own hair. While it is rare, it does happen. And I I haven't taken care of any patients or been very close to any patients that had this. But I like I've studied cases like this, and it, it's pretty intense. And also, just it, it makes you kind of a little queasy thinking about it. Like this is the kind of shit that gets to me. Yeah, like yeah. I, I've said on this show before, but like. Guts, like that stuff doesn't bother me. What bothers me is like bone, hair, teeth, nail, like that kind of shit. So, like any kind of scenes where like people rip their own teeth out or like peel fingernails off, or in this case, she pukes up giant hairballs, like that to me is the stuff that just makes me fucking gag. There is something in this movie that is like a notorious scene that we haven't quite gotten to yet. This scene where she's throwing up hair made me way more squeamish and uncomfortable than like anything else in the rest of this fucking movie. You know what's funny is uh, Julia, the director, has stated that, like, David Cronenberg is, like, her main (laughs) inspiration. Oh, of course, yeah. So, like, here you go. There's also a moment in this kind of middle montage where you see her, like, on all hands and knees, crouched down by their little, like, mini fridge in the dorm room, and she's just kind of being sketchy, like, sitting there with the door open, and Adrian walks in and is just like, what are you doing and she's like uh getting breakfast at like three in the morning yeah he's like the fuck are you getting out of the fridge then and she was like uh cereal there's no fucking cereal in the fridge like what are you doing she's like uh nothing just don't worry about it as he walks away it cuts back to her and there's a raw chicken breast like on a plate and she just grabs it and just fucking just marches right into it just tearing oh, this yeah. chicken breast apart even though this stuff doesn't really get me too bad that one made me feel a little queasy I'll admit yeah it's, just, it's not a nibble she fucking goes the town oh, yeah. on that thing it's just like gummy candy that's all it is like it's 
it's literally just like a fake yeah. chicken breast molded out of like gummy candy but it's still so just like because again <laughs> the visceral quality of this movie I have never just crunched right into a fucking raw chicken breast but yeah. watching her do it in that two seconds I 100% know what the sensation is like I know that it's cold I know that it's wet I know that it like has a texture because I've handled yeah. raw chicken breast before right like I can completely get what is happening in that moment and feel so fucking revulsed by it and it's just it's done so quick and like little by little you see her kind of ramping up this is exactly the kind of shit that they talk about all the time with serial killers where like they go through this period of ramping up and like little behaviors and things get more intense until they finally actually fucking kill somebody you know like these are just the little things leading up to like inevitably what we know is eventually going to happen in this movie so another scene too she goes to her sister's room and is trying to like pick something out to go to this party because she doesn't really have any like cute clothes while she's there she also noticed that her sister happens to have the same rash cream in her like bathroom cabinet she kind of like sees that and is like what yeah i had to rewatch the scene for a sec because i was like wait is she in her own room no shit she's in her sister's room yeah and there's a couple of other like scenes of just her being awkward in school and around these professors and around these students but eventually there's another scene where she and her sister are in the sister's room which by the way this is another one of those like weird it might just be French college vet school things that I don't get on this campus where all these students are staying in these dorms nobody has fucking pets except for her sister Alexia who has like a fucking German Shepherd like a full grown ass dog like in the dorm rooms with her like okay sure I mean one of our friends had like a fucking rabbit he snuck into the dorms and had there for a long time and we definitely had like fish and things in the dorm but like nobody had just like a actual full ass dog (laughs) in the dorms yeah unless it was for medical reasons or what have you but yeah no one had a full ass dog you're right and I think what what was the name's dog I think it was Quickly was the name of the dog yeah so justine is in alexi's room and again they're kind of talking about like getting her kind of cuted up for a party and this is the scene i mentioned earlier where alexi is like no you totally need a bikini wax because like your shit's wild downstairs so we need to like fix that so you can find somebody to be with or whatever because justine has still not lost her virginity so there's this awkward scene where she's getting her bikini area waxed and her sister clearly doesn't fucking really actually know what she's trying to do and she's doing it really awkwardly and she you know rips the first side and it is just like super painful and awful and she's going for the second side but it's kind of sticking a little bit and it's not quite pulling off and you see a close-up of just that thin really tender skin on the very inside of your thigh like right up by your genitals and like some of her pubes and it's caught in this wax and she's slowly pulling it and you see it pulling at that skin and it just makes your fucking skin crawl. Yeah, there's like a little bit of skin coming up with it and it's like, oh my god. So, (laughs) you know, she's just about to like yank it is like, okay, hold on. Gets up, goes and gets these fucking scissors and is like coming at Justine with these scissors and Justine's like, the 
fuck no, you're not going to, like, accidentally <laughs> circumcise me, me yeah. right? And yeah. Justine, like, kicks her away, and we just see, like, Alexia fall over, and everything just goes quiet. Now, this might sound a little comical, because, like, she kicks her away and yells, like, it's my pussy. Yeah. But the way it's, it's such an intense scene, because then, like, her sister kind of gets kicked off her. She, like, looks down, and her sister's just sitting there and missing a fucking finger. Yeah. She somehow, like, fell and, like, cut off her, like, ring finger. And so her sister holds it up and it's like her finger's gone. She looks at it and then like passes out. Passes the fuck <laughs> out. Yeah. And yeah. at this moment, Justine's just kind of like, uh, what the fuck do I do? And she looks around and then she sees the finger laying on the floor. To her credit, she did call people immediately. Yeah. It was like, we have an emergency, please come. And they're like, okay, we're 15 minutes away. And that's yeah. when she kind of was like, huh, okay, what do I do in the meantime? Oh, freeze a finger? Gotcha. All right, I'll take care of it. See ya. They hang up, and that's when she looks at the finger and she pauses. Yep, and she pauses because then all of a sudden she's just like, hmm, what, what do this taste like? And you just see her like... She squeezes some of the blood out into her palm and just starts licking it up. And then immediately she's just like sucking on this fucking finger and starts chewing on the meat of this finger. And that's when the cannibalism started. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's basically like I'd imagine this is like the first time Dahmer did it and had an orgasm in his pants. Yep. This was pretty reminiscent because like this whole scene almost is orgasmic even though she's eating a fucking finger. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The soundtrack kicks up the way the actress portrays it like she is doing a damn good job of like making this heinous act seem so euphoric. Yeah. Oh like a light bulb going off in her head like ding this is the ticket this is what I wanted all my life and I didn't even realize yeah, this is the shit that you hear about all the time. Serial killers were like, something happens and you're like, violence and your sex wires get crossed. And they don't ever fucking uncross ever again. Something flipped in her head and that was that. She is fucking chewing on this finger. And it's the most like, have you ever seen anybody like really fucking go to town on like a chicken wing and just determined to get like every bit off that fucking chicken wing? Like she is just nibbling for all the little meats and just pulling like little just like pieces of skin off this thing. Like tendon Uh, and all that. It's the most like awful bullshit. And this is this is like the scene. This is the scene where everybody in the theaters were like fainting and passing out and this is the scene like I mentioned earlier where Heather was like losing her fucking mind just screaming no no and like See? covering her eyes <laughs> and I'm just on the couch laughing my ass yeah. off yeah to give you how fucked up my head is uh, by myself watching this movie I started cackling as this was happening yeah I was just like grinning like a Cheshire cat with my eyes just lit up watching this scene because it is so fucking audacious it is so yeah fucking wild and then just hearing my wife like losing her mind next to me I started just cackling <laughs> well and it, again like my mind immediately went to the Jeffrey Dahmer interview that's when the cannibalism started oh, yeah. and that's what caused me to start laughing because I thought that and then I started thinking once again Jaws the head the tail 
the whole damn thing. <laughs> Black, like a doll's eye. So she's in the middle of eating her fucking sister's finger. Meanwhile, there's a shot where she's in the middle of it, and the dog walks by it like it's a fucking comedy. And that also made me like kind of lose it. Just yeah, it was just so like outrageous what was happening. And you see Justine in the foreground, like just still, just not and just nibbling, just going to town on this finger. And Alexia like wakes up and comes to and like sits up and looks over and sees her. And immediately, like there's just like a quick take of Justine just like huh like looking over and like runs like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're making light of the scene a lot but this scene really is fucking intense yeah cause like as she starts nibbling on the finger and all these scenes where her sister catches her like the soundtrack is ramping up it's very very tense dramatic and horrific but to talk about it outside the context of the movie it's fucking, yeah, hilarious, it's fucking yeah. absurd it's ridiculous so this is kind of to the point where Alexi is like alright little sis time to come clean like now that you're like on my level i got i gotta teach you something they they go to the, the hospital and like you can tell that she's kind of freaking out because she's like is my sister gonna tell them what yeah. i did and her sister comes out and they're like yeah we can't save the finger <laughs> yeah the finger's gone dot 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 the dog ate it they blame it on the dog and once again another fucking horror trope of an animal getting killed for no goddamn reason ding 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 because <laughs> They, they talk about how, like, the dog's being put down as they speak and blah, blah, blah. Yep. So their parents bring them back to the vet school. And basically, as soon as the parents are gone, Alexia just, like, gets the fuck up out of the wheelchair. And is just like, all right, come with me. Like, I'm going to show you something. So they go to the road that we have seen a few times, kind of further away from the school. And Justine is kind of confused and like, where are we going? What are we doing? And Alexia is just like, shut the fuck up. Uh, just watch what I'm doing and she does that thing where she darts out in front of the car car swerves wrecks and you realize oh fucking shit this was Alexia. She had been doing this the whole time. The beginning of the movie. Yep. Yeah. So this has been her like basically hunting. So that was what I wanted to bring up. Why when they were on the bus trip her totally and her. Uh, Adrian. Yeah. You think it was her totally sister her. caused that yeah. wreck? Yeah. Because that's what I thought too. Yep. So this car wrecks and there's two guys in the car. One is clearly dead. The other is clearly dying. And Alexia just opens the passenger door and just starts like sucking on this dude's busted up scalp and he's got like brain matter hanging out and everything else and she's just kind of tearing into his head and like her sister's freaking out yeah. and like she justifies it by saying he's not gonna make it anyway so fuck it yeah come over here and get some while he's still fresh and like this is just how we have to do this and Justine is kind of horrified by this because you can tell like she has accepted like oh this is a thing I'm into but not like this and so again she's really just horrified by the fact that her sister is taking this just such an extreme kind of animalistic degree that literally involves murder and like she she almost like they sort of kind of wrestle a little bit because she's like screaming at her sister like spit it out spit it out yeah. Her sister, like, took a chunk out of the dying guy's neck or something. Like a fucking zombie. Yeah. You know, so Justine basically just 
storms off and like makes her way back to the school and she goes back into her dorm and you see her and adrian kind of you know hanging out together and they kind of talk a little bit um and she basically just kind of expresses some frustration to him but then she kind of says all right i need to unwind so she leaves and she kind of heads off to a party that's at another part of the dorm and as soon as she walks in the door wham she gets fucking blasted with blue paint they like literally just throw an entire bucket of blue paint on her and somebody walks up and like shoves her in the bathroom and then says hey you get up and this guy who is also covered in yellow paint the camera goes over and there's like two or three other people covered in paint and they throw her in the room with this guy that we had kind of seen earlier in the movie he's just another one of the students and he's covered in yellow paint they basically say cool y'all stay in there and basically fool around until y'all both come out green and this is just another one of the bullshit hazing rituals this guy is clear of trying to make out with her and trying to make this happen because he's horny college guy and she's clearly not into fucking paint rape party. Yeah, so she starts pushing back and he's like, no baby, let's just, you know, I'll go easy and we'll just make this happen. And it cuts back into the room and then all of a sudden we just hear like this dude screaming bloody fucking murder and he walks out of the bathroom with just his lip pouring fucking blood and she like bit a chunk of his fucking lip out like the middle part of his bottom lip is just gone yeah. like think of a uh, cleft lip but reversed and that's exactly what his lip looks like yeah and he's just fucking screaming and you know immediately everybody's just like jesus christ this fucking freak girl what the hell happened right and she she like bails she fucking dips yeah. out in the chaos and so she goes back to her dorm and we see her taking a shower to get all the paint off and while she's in the shower she ends up pulling the chunk of the guy's lip from between her teeth and just kind of, you know, she kind of smiles and looks at it and then just pops it right back in her mouth and kind of finishes eating it. <laughs> it's kind of like that piece of M&M that's still stuck in your teeth and you can enjoy it later. Yep. So we then kind of see her afterward hanging out with Adrian on his bed and they're both smoking a joint and hanging out. I like these small character moments like in these dorm room scenes and everything else because like in one of these scenes after the paint party and all that, she walks in on Adrian and Adrian's clearly just trying to like wink one out. Yeah. And she like fucking interrupts him basically. There was another scene too where she goes to walk in the dorm and he's getting a blowjob from some other guy and she just kind of like, oh, god damn it, rolls her eyes and closes the door and just has to go like occupy herself until they're done. You know, just the regular like yeah. college dorm room kind of shit. Yeah. But during this scene specifically, they're just kind of hanging out and things just kind of wind up where Adrian basically just, you know, says something about her like still being a virgin and you know he kind of says like you know yeah I mean I'm gay but you know whatever I think you're hot like we can make this happen and basically they do they just immediately start going right at it and having like really wild really intense sex and in the middle of this Justine is like actively trying to like bite him on the neck um like she's she's straddling him and riding him upright and she's definitely like trying to go for his neck and he kind of realizes like that's happening yeah. but then she realizes what she's really 
doing and she basically just bites down on her own arm as she climaxes and bites so fucking hard that she draws blood and again this is one of those serial killer like oh I got my wires crossed blood and sex and orgasm together ding 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 there's the ticket yeah well and this this whole scene is interesting too because Adrian you can tell like he's doing this as a favor to her and yeah. he's clearly like yeah he's making it intense and passionate but he's clearly not into this it's it's more of a kind of possessive dominant thing even though like he's trying to make it out as a favor to her it's clearly like a I have an upper hand in this relationship and I'm going to express that you know not in a violent way not in a explicitly psychologically or emotionally damaging way but still in a way that's not healthy in any way shape or form my own little personal theory too is because like Adrian is is such a good dude like throughout this movie especially to her like he deals with all her like crazy bullshit and like takes it in stride Granted, he's concerned for, and is confused. Uh, for the most part. Like, he's, for the most he's part. still a selfish asshole and, like, makes it known that, like, he's going to do what he wants to do. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, like, I think he, as a friend, cares for her. And I almost took this as, like, he knows that she's craving something on a primal level. He doesn't know exactly what it is. He's like, okay, maybe if she loses her virginity and gets this out of her system, like, yeah. she'll kind of calm down. So I'll go ahead and do it because she can trust me, basically. Yeah. And not in a malicious way at all. I think he's really just doing it as as a close friend. But yeah, like it's not what actually happens given that she almost bites his neck and winds up biting her own arm. Yeah. So afterward, we see her at another one of these crazy rave parties. And I had to like actually show Heather this scene because she's still not actually seeing Clockwork Orange. But the scene where it's just camera zooming forward through through the crowd in this party with all this kind of like giant synth organ music blasting and all the neon lights and everything and it just kind of zooms in on her at the back of this room and she just has this like shit-eating confident grin on her face with her leg like cocked up on the table next to her just looking like a fucking mean badass right it's exactly the opening scene from A Clockwork Orange just in reverse where you know it starts on Alex's eyes and then the camera just slowly zooms out and you see like him and all of his boys like hanging out on the couch in the milk bar and it's playing the like giant loud uh, organ music you know it's it was the same kind of scene and that's exactly what it made me think of yeah it's interesting to note too in these scenes because like leading up to that she's changed like not only has she changed on like a fundamental level of who she is like she's now trying to kind of she's going out on a hunt now because there's a scene where she like dances in front of the mirror and like puts on that dress that her sister gave her at the beginning of the movie and is kind of like dancing to some music and putting on a lipstick and all that and then what's interesting is after like she does that she walks out of the room and her sister her older sister is out there with Adrian and they're playing a game on like PS4 and she's kind of like what the fuck are you doing here like when were when have you ever been buddy buddy with Adrian my roommate yeah and Adrian just was like all right I'm going to a party I'll catch y'all later and like he leaves and she just straight up tells her sister he's mine or like back off or something like that yeah justine's at this party and she just gets real wasted and alexia then kind of leads her into the morgue and you see her like open up one of the coolers with the dead body in it and she passes out and then we have a scene where she's basically just kind of rolling around in bed and wakes up the next morning not really kind of realizing what happened right but as she's kind of going to class and walking around everybody's acting like real weird 
centered around her. And people are clearly like talking about her behind her back and everything else. And Adrian finally just says like, yo, like, do you not fucking know what everybody's talking about? And Justine's like, what? What are you talking about? Adrian shows her a video on his phone that is Justine like wasted. And she is on all fours in the morgue with this crowd of people around like cheering them on and like yelling and screaming. And Alexia basically like has the arm of this cadaver and is just kind of waving it in front of Justine's face as she's on all fours on the ground actively trying to like bite at the hand like a dog. Yeah, she's it's very animalistic yeah. the way she's acting in this scene. And again, what the fuck even is the school? Yeah. Where are any of the professors? We literally only see like the school doctor nurse and then this one professor. That's it. There's like no accountability at this school whatsoever. But even then like again, okay, we were pretty crazy in college too. I feel like we would draw the line at someone taunting somebody with a piece of a dead body. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's when we would be like, hold the phone. This isn't right. (laughs) Yeah. So at this point, Justine like basically confronts Alexia in this main kind of plaza. Even before that, like she's more concerned almost that he has her sister's number and like kind of flips out on him being like, are you with her now? Or like you, are you seeing her? And he's just like, what is your fucking problem? I'm gay and I'm the only one who seems to be looking out for you at this fucking school and you're gonna get petty on me like this and just storms off on her. Yeah, stop being fucking paranoid about me and your sister. Nothing's going on. Yeah, so like her social life now is going fucking apart. Everything's going apart. So yeah, that, that's when she storms off and like tracks down her sister. Yeah, so she confronts her sister kind of in this big open courtyard that's full of people and basically just walks up and like slaps the shit out of her and they start physically fighting. You know, they, they're arguing about the video at first but then they literally start physically fighting each other and eventually it gets to the point where like they're both kind of wrapped up and they both just are biting each other Alexia like literally has clamped down on Justine's cheek and Justine is biting on her arms and it's kind of like when you see two dogs fight like my two dogs when they like fight and they're both just latched onto each other just like and no one can get the upper hand yeah and eventually they just kind of calm down and they're just like okay alright we're friends now (laughs) that's basically what happens is they both kind of get to this point where like you know their anger has peaked and they both kind of finally start realizing that everybody around them is basically watching this whole thing like a freak show and they become very self-aware of that fact and the fact that like they have become this literal joke to all these people around them and they they immediately become protective of each other and so they like are like hugging and holding on to each other and basically just trying to get out of this crowd they're kind of saying like fuck you fuck all of you as they're you know leaving so we then go back to the dorms once again where are the professors yeah where's anybody you know so we go back to the dorms Justine wakes up the next morning and she's you know in bed sleeping with Adrian and she reaches over and kind of tries to wake Adrian up And then she reaches down under the sheets thinking she's going to kind of maybe like give him a little bit of a rubby rub to wake him up and immediately realizes something's wrong, pulls her hand out and her hand is fucking covered in blood. And then immediately blood starts seeping from Adrian's, uh, I think, nose or mouth or something. Yeah. And she pulls back the blankets and he is dead and literally like his entire right thigh is just carved the fuck 
out. Like, it looks like a fucking shark attack. Yeah, this is kind of a jump scare, too, because it's very sudden the way, like, she pulls the sheet up and, like, immediately you see this. It kind of reminded me of the first death and It Follows, like, when it cuts to that girl on the beach. The girl with the leg that's just crunched in half, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me of that. So she's screaming and freaking out, and she gets up. Well, it's interesting because she's like, why didn't you, like, she's screaming at him, like, why didn't you fight me back? Why why didn't you fight yeah, back? Yeah, because she thinks she did this in her sleep. Yeah, she did this in her sleep, but then as she's kind of, like, getting up and looking around, she notices that there's a big, giant puncture hole in his back, and she sees a ski, is it a ski, uh... I don't know what the fuck equipment? you call that. It, yeah, it's it's like a ski pole. Yeah. I don't know what the actual word is for that, but it's like one of the, yeah. like, hand pole walking things with, like, the things. spike on the end of it. Yeah, and she notices that there's blood. It's, like, leaning against the wall, and it's bloody, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she picks it up and is, like, looking around, and as she walks around the corner, she sees Alexia, and Alexia's leaned up against the little mini fridge in the kitchen and just kind of staring off into the middle distance with the PlayStation controller in her hand just completely fucking catatonic and out of it. Blood, blood all over her mouth yeah. and all over her, like she had the feast on the leg all night. Yep. And Justine like has this ski pole in her hand and she's clearly like in a defensive position where she is really considering like should I just fucking take her out right now? But she you know lowers it down and drops it and picks her sister up and drags her sister to the bathroom and undresses her and puts her in the shower and cleans her up and ultimately we then cut to Alexia in prison and she's behind glass she's in a uh, jumpsuit and so there's no big giant police burst in you know no kicking down the doors no hauling her out in handcuffs no like last feral like outburst from her just immediately cuts to like her in jail and that's that justine and her parents are there at the jail and they like just had a conversation there there is a nice little character moment where like as they're getting up to leave she kind of calls out to your sister one more time and kind of like puts her hand up on the glass she pushes her cheek and there's like yeah. it's the scar on her cheek with a big chunk of flesh missing where alexia bit her cheek out earlier when they were fighting she kind of presses her cheek up to the glass and alexia kisses the glass yeah we basically kind of hear the lawyers and the prison guards and people talking around them and it's kind of the same thing as earlier where they covered up the finger incident with the dog basically alexia takes the whole rap for it doesn't say anything about justine like also being kind of complicit in all the cannibalism shit she definitely gets pegged with all the other car murders and just basically admits to everything and that's that because she knows i have this problem and i need to be stopped and i won't stop so like this has to happen i accept this fact yes lock me the fuck away like i know i have a problem and basically justine gets to kind of go home and she gets off so they're at home later and justine is sitting at the dinner table talking to her father and her father's basically just like you know what this is totally our fault we were shitty parents we saw years ago what your sister was and we chose to ignore it and we figured like it would pass and you know we saw this behavior and we could have done something about it your mother also had these same problems and we realized when we were in school together that there was something wrong with your mother and i just figured it was your mom and that would be that and i didn't think that it would actually come down to like you both having the same issue and this is the first time that you're 
you're really seeing the dad straight ahead face first. You've always kind of seen the dad off to the side or in profile. And he's always worn shirts like yeah. covering his whole body. And like he even says, I didn't realize what was going on with your mother until the first time we kissed. And then I knew. Yeah. And again, you see that he has a chunk missing from his lip just like the guy from earlier. And after he says that, Justine's kind of confused and giving him this like, what are you talking about kind of look? And he just kind of casually unbuttons his shirt and opens it up so she can see his chest. And his chest is just covered in scars and like chunks missing out of him. And he basically just says like, you know what? I loved your mother. She had a problem. I love her. We found a solution that works. Hopefully you'll find a similar solution. Cut to credits. Cut to credits. Like, as Justine kind of just sits there dumbfounded. And also, too, it's noted that, like, it's not just scars and chunks of his flesh missing. There's even some more fresh wounds on there. Like, oh, yeah. Or her mom is still kind of doing this to him. But, hey, he loves her, and, like, they found that to be the solution, so. Yeah. So, it totally explains the, like, mom flipping the fuck out at the restaurant with the meat. And at first, you just assume, like, oh, these weird, overprotective, crunchy parents. Nope. It's literally just the mom trying to prevent her daughter from becoming eater of flesh. So, the hunger. The hunger. Yep. So, that's raw. I really wish that I had watched this movie when it came out two years ago. I definitely enjoyed it. It is a movie that has kind of sat with me. I mean, I I watched this movie a few nights ago and we've been trying to record just scheduling, but I'm kind of glad that we waited to record until tonight because I've had a few days to sit with this movie and really kind of think about it and let it sink in. Same here. This might be one of the few times too that like the movie might have disturbed you or scared you more than it did me well that's the thing like i don't think i was i like i don't think i'm very disturbed or upset or scared by it as much as i am just like really fascinated by the character study and i'm fascinated by du cornell's just kind of thought process and the things that she's expressing in the movie Again, like, you can tell this is a movie that she is, like, really pulling from within herself. And she's pulling all these thoughts and fears and anxieties out of her inner self and just throwing them on the screen. And sometimes it doesn't all make sense. And sometimes it's all, it's it's not clearly things that you can explain. And it's not like that in, like, the David Lynch weird metaphysical sense. You know, this is not like some fucking cream corn bullshit. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, stuff where you can clearly tell, like, these are things that she's been processing and thinking about for a while, and this is just her expressing them. And to me, that's always going to be more interesting than just, like, a clear A to B kind of plot. Yeah, uh, and I mean, again, I would love to talk to her, like, ha- interview her myself, because I kind of also wonder, like, this is probably sort of a basic question, being like, I wonder if Justine and then her sister are almost, like, different aspects of her own personality, the uh, Julia's, because you were saying, like, a lot of this came from her fears, and possibly from her own fears and anxieties, and, like, her just kind of artistically, like, throwing it all out there and yeah. bearing herself, too. So, I'm wondering if she can relate to these characters that she's written or directed, and I, I- 
I would love to pick her brain if I ever got the chance to, and uh, especially about this movie. But um, I'm very curious now about the rest of her filmography. Oh, yeah. I know, oh, it's, yeah. I know it's all probably foreign, but I would love to like kind of check out all her stuff. This was her debut. Oh, this was. I yeah. Didn't know oh, that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. That then that was also one of the big talking points of this movie when it came out. Was like, oh yeah, this new out of nowhere visionary director, blah blah blah. So I mean, yeah, I'm definitely going to be keeping up with her career from now on. Um, regardless of whether she does anything remotely hard, yeah. she could just do like straight dramas the rest of her career. I am going to pay attention to those movies because she definitely has a very specific point of view and a method of telling her stories that I am really interested in. And I'm always interested in directors that operate that way. This has probably been the best modern horror movie I think we've covered so far. For As a just a straight up movie, this might be the best one. Might not be like the most scary one, but I think as a straight up movie that this might be the best one that we've covered, at least of anything from like the 90s up till now. Now. Yeah, I have a few over the last few years that are kind of all in the same tier for me. There's usually just one or two every year that really, really stick out um, as far as like new modern releases go. But this is definitely like of the movies from 2017, this is on that list for me now, for sure. Yeah, I, I hate that it's not available in the States technically. Like there's no Blu-ray release in North America. I'm sure that this will get a release sooner or later. Hopefully, but I mean, there's still stuff like Martyrs, which is a, that is kind of the French modern horror movie from the last many, many years. I don't think it's available in the U.S. at all yet, so I'm, huh. I'm hoping uh, that this movie surprising. is. Again, it was on Netflix for a while. Not anymore. You can still get it on iTunes, but I have a physical copy of it if possible, so I'm hoping, you know. Well, and it, yeah, I pulled up her Wikipedia uh, after you'd mentioned that this kind of being her breakout. Yeah, you're totally right, because like, the only thing she had done before then were like short films, yeah. a telefilm that she co-directed, and then she's been script consultant, and Roz, even till now, the only thing she's done so far uh it doesn't even have any like future projects listed on on here yeah i was surprised by that too because usually imdb will show you what somebody's working on next but she doesn't have anything under upcoming and she's only five years older than we are and she made this fucking great movie (laughs) yep so that's it for this week but i definitely enjoyed it like i said i'm gonna kind of keep my eye on her i'm interested to maybe revisit this one in a few months or maybe like next year like i need some time to kind of let it soak in but um this is one that i'm definitely going to revisit eventually and kind of look at it knowing what I know about the movie now I'm going to kind of look at it a little bit differently I'm sure but I'm kind of excited for that second viewing once I've had some time with it yeah so that's another one I can another one on the paper another one completed how do you feel, buddy? I feel pretty good. I'm feeling pretty hungry. <laughs> Need some of that raw meat. We are going to have some fun guests coming pretty soon, I think. We are possibly going to have somebody on for the next episode, depending on how scheduling works. Hopefully, we can kind of keep having guests on fairly regularly as schedules allow. But we are going to be hopping back to something a little more supernatural if all goes according to plan and possibly one of the more well-known movies as well yeah so let's just say the movie kind of sounds like (laughs) (laughs) that might be a a not so subtle clue for people so (laughs) 
Anywho, on that note of music, um, shout out to my little brother, Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator. He did the little bumps and themes that you hear at the front and back of every episodes, including the one for the mini-sode that we had last week as well. So definitely check him out on Bandcamp. Check out his band, Opossums. He's got a few other things linked over on his Bandcamp page. So definitely give him a listen, throw him a dollar or two for his albums or more. Um, if you happen to live in the Southeast and see any of his bands coming through your area, Go see him, support him. It's all good shit. So beyond that, um, I'm Aaron Mansfield. And as always, you are my co-host, Derek. Do you have anything else to uh, throw out before we go? We are Watch If You Dare, the podcast. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and the PodCoin app. Um, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Watch If You Dare. Still getting all that love on Twitter. You guys are awesome, especially all the other uh, podcasts that have been super supportive. And other than that, I'm gonna Sally. I'm feeling kind of hungry. Oh, I get the hunger, Sally. What? Okay. So on on the note of Sally, do you think Franklin was chewing on a cigar or chewing on a piece of sausage from the like barbecue? I think you chewed on sausage in that moment uh, yeah he was he was eating some, he like, some, some human yeah he like spit it out so yeah it was some people sausage so it was it was a people sausage yep, yep. all right so anyway sally sally meats sally meats okay later